Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And hello once again, everybody. It's another edition of the Hockey News on the queue, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. And uh, Jamie, uh, first of all, how's your week? I was good. Uh, I went up to uh, St. John back home. First time uh, being in the rink in uh, a little bit. So it's good to be back. Saw the uh, Lady Gaga tribute on uh, Monday, which was obviously stoked about. Uh, it was a pretty good show. Pretty good show. Great crowd. One of the biggest crowds of the season. So it was a fun time. Yeah, 4,000 plus up there at uh, TV yep. Station, right? Yeah, 5,000 plus. 5,000 plus. Yep. Perfect. There yep. you go. Not since the days of the uh, the Mem Cup, we've seen or the yep. Memorial Cup, I should say, we've seen uh, numbers like that. Could see uh, could see the fans uh, packed in for some uh, good entertainment. And uh, of course, I I was uh, closer to home. Um, took in uh, yesterday's Moncton uh, versus Halifax game. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday night, by the way, for everybody wondering. Um, was actually calling the game with uh, my old buddy Marty Kingston um, on. Uh, on radio, and uh, let's just say uh, it was a little bit closer than Sunday's game <laughs> up in Moncton, the, the old 11-3 pasting by the Moose, and uh, uh, much closer for two decision in favor of Halifax. And, uh, a lot of bright spots both sides. But, and, uh, uh, well, a friend of mine, I feel bad for him. It was he's a huge Wildcats fan. Um, mm-hmm. This was his first the first game he's been to in person since COVID was the Sunday game. Oh. So uh, an unfortunate, oh, uh, fortunate game to go to. Yeah. Yeah. 10, <laughs> one after two, you know, it's, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> um, so uh, is, did he say if he was coming back? I uh, didn't comment. So I, I assume hey, he just great. had such a good time. He just, words Might just express be, it. feels like a wait and see sort of scenario. Doesn't it? <laughs> Just a reminder before we go any deeper into uh, this week's episode, uh, this is going to be the last week that this podcast is going to be available on SoundCloud for the foreseeable future, at least. Uh, you can still find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, there will be links in the description below uh, from wherever you have retrieved this to tell you exactly where you can go and listen to us. And uh, of course, we always encourage you to tune in. Uh, no matter where you get your podcast, we're also going to be on Megaphone as well, uh, a new platform for us. If you are a Megaphone user, you will find us there. And if we happen to get back to SoundCloud, yeah, SoundCloud at a later date, and if I happen to find a new tongue, we'll keep you posted. So I'm. you were in St. John, I was in Halifax, and, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I guess it would have been... Was it Sunday night or Monday during the day? I think I sent a message out to you and to our uh, our long-suffering producer, Connor Somerville, to say, you know what, guys? Uh, I haven't really thought of anything to talk about this week. I mean, there is news. I haven't really put any thought into it. And that's when 
Now, at some point, and I think it probably took us about six or seven hours, we finally came to the realization, wait a minute, the Halifax Mooses are going to change ownership on Tuesday morning. We could probably talk about that. And sure enough, actually, we didn't know that that was actually going to happen. All we knew that a historic announcement was going to take place this morning at the Halifax Convention Center. And sure enough, that is what it was. Uh, Bobby Smith, who has owned the Mooses since 2003, uh, he has sold his uh, investments in the team. He was the majority owner. The new majority owner is uh, a gentleman by the name of Sam Simon. Uh, he's an American. Um, he is uh, runs a very lucrative uh, oil company. And um, uh, just a, a kind of a bit of nostalgia at the uh, convention center this morning, uh, Jamie. I, I get to partake in that and uh, as well... Uh, you know, uh, a good first impression by the new owner. But, uh, Jamie, I'll get your thoughts on this. Uh, uh, what do you make of, of, of this happening at, at this time? Well, definitely surprising. I think the biggest surprise for, for people like us, Will, is that, you know, this was such a well-protected secret. This was really a surprise. Right. Um, this was typically something that would be leaked out, you know, weeks or months in advance. But this was uh, a huge surprise to all of us. Uh, Bobby Smith seemed in pretty good spirits and I probably would be too. If uh, <laughs> I, I probably have eight <laughs> figures sitting in my account he's, somewhere. Yeah, he, he's, he's got a few million reasons to yeah, be okay. Yeah, today. exactly. And, <laughs> but uh, you know, looking back at the Bobby Smith era, like this guy really rode the roller coaster, like up and down. Um, you know, you look back at uh, way back to the Brad Marshall trade and then kind of the, disastrous rebuild after that well not the rebuild wasn't disastrous but i think the fair to say the trade was led to some disasters <laughs> um you know one of the worst junior teams in the country for a couple of years and then the slow rebuild back with uh mckinnon and drew drew and fucali and then one of the best junior teams in the country um and then kind of what we've seen the past decade or so where it's been kind of just consistently good um i i think it's fair to say the bobby smith era was pretty successful uh, a lot of champ few championships anyway um but i think the biggest thing is the amount of high quality nhl players the new sets have delivered during his time is uh uh really really impressive yeah and bobby really touched upon all of uh, what you just mentioned jamie throughout his remarks uh, you know saying you know he was he, he's seen years when they were in last place ironically they finished dead last the first year he owned the team Back in 2003, he's seen them uh, in first place, obviously, uh, the uh, Memorial Cup Championship in 2013. Um, he uh, presided over three trips to the President Cup Final in 05, um, again in 2013, which they won, of course, and then 2019 when they hosted the Memorial Cup. So he, he's kind of seen it all uh, mm -hmm. in terms of what a junior owner can possibly see. And he also made it a point to mention uh, in the scrum after, uh, after his remarks that the team was not on the open market. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Simon, uh, Sam Simon and his family came to him with the intent of uh, trying to purchase the franchise. Obviously uh, the right uh, uh, arrangements were made. The right numbers were agreed upon. And uh, we now enter uh, a new era in one of the biggest junior hockey markets in the country at a time when Halifax is riding the roller coaster of the world juniors. Uh, they're one of the top teams in the country uh, from the Mooseheads perspective. They're gearing up for uh, 
for what they hope is a championship run. They're going to have a decent team again next year uh, in, in all likelihood. So, uh, you know, if you're Sam Simon, you're, you're certainly buying high. That's uh, that's uh, a guarantee. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting. You know, and my impression, not from speaking to anybody, this is just pure speculation. I feel like the Simons probably gave Bobby Smith an offer he probably just couldn't refuse at this time, um, which is kind of, you know, understandable. Um, and I'm curious to see what they do. I mean, these, these guys are almost as outsiders as it gets um, in right. junior hockey purchasing. And um, it's, it's funny, kind of funny reading a lot of the comments from Moosehead fans. Um, I wouldn't say they're, I wouldn't say they're um, not liking it, but I would, I'd say they're less than enthused by the move. Um, and I think it's just because they don't really know anything about these guys, which is, you know, understandable. And I remember um, back when Trevor Georgie took over the Sea Dogs as president, a lot of the feedback was similar. You know, this is a guy we know almost nothing about. He's not from the community um mm -hmm. and you know a lot of the feedback was kind of negative and without really giving them a chance um right. so, but you know they're going to get a chance to really put their their hands on this team um and it's an interesting time in, in junior hockey as a whole um and i'm really curious to see what you know these guys who are really fresh into junior hockey don't have a background in junior hockey don't really know what's going on in this market um i'm curious to see what they can do uh, moving forward yeah. Um, and, you know, just what does this do for junior hockey at large? And you you just sort of, you know, mentioned that in passing there, Jamie. Um, it put it in perspective. You know, I know I made the comment here uh, on, on an episode a couple of months ago about when uh, Patrick Waugh and the Tangay family purchased the old Beauport Horror Family. That was in 1997. And I believe they paid $800,000 uh, or in and around that amount. Uh, for that franchise, they transferred them down the road into Quebec City. They came to Quebec Rampart, and they're now a juggernaut. If if not on the ice, which this year they are, uh, they're a financial juggernaut every single year. Um, now, uh, as far as uh, as far as the Mooseheads go, Bobby Smith bought sixty three percent of this team twenty years ago uh, for uh, I believe the number is about three to four million dollars, um, and I only cite that number because. It was a little bit better known in the community. We do not know what the purchase price of this uh, of this uh, uh, team was to uh, Sam Simon and his family. Um, but uh, like you said, eight figures, definitely an eight-figure uh, number. And uh, as far as how high into the eight figures, well, that's probably – that number is going to dictate the value of especially uh, high-market value junior hockey franchises from this day forward. And how does that change the landscape of the business of junior hockey? It's something yeah. that, you know, um, obviously, you know, we're, we're not going to know, just like we're not going to know really what Sam Simon and his family's legacy to this team is going to be for at least a couple of years uh, until they can really put their footprint on, on, on things. But what is this team or what is the landscape going to look like going forward? Uh, I, I think this could very much put things into a different stratosphere possibly. Yeah the next time a big market franchise comes on the market. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because after COVID, a lot of us kind of thought that there's going to be an avalanche of teams being sold just because there are some owners who made it out of the pandemic better than others. And we all thought there might be a lot of movement over the last few years. And there really hasn't been. Um, so I'm curious to see if this kind of triggers uh, an avalanche of, of other teams being sold, um, right. which will be, which would be interesting. And, um, you know, 
Bobby Smith leaving the league itself is is a major move. Just he's been a hugely influential owner. Um, and certainly, you know, the idea of him leaving around the same time as Jill Corteau, I mean, that's a huge, huge change um, for the league. Absolutely. That, that, that is a huge shift. And uh, credit to uh, Connor Somerville as well, who's just in, in our ears, so to speak, uh, mentioning a Sam Simon. Um, uh, he uh, There's mention of him starting or has started a league on the West Coast of the United States. And he does have the backing of some uh, big-name NHLers. So yeah. there is a hockey tie-in there, perhaps a bit of a junior hockey tie-in as well. So it's not like he's completely coming from from nowhere. And I know he and his son, who just finished uh, uh, a sports management degree um, in a university, uh, have started their own sports uh, enterprise or uh, sports financial enterprise of some sort in the last year or so. So they're not coming in completely blind, but they are definitely newcomers, uh, certainly to this area. And uh, they are newcomers to uh, the, the Q and to Canadian junior hockey as well. Um and, you know, we could go on about this for another, you know, probably 20 or 30 minutes, but uh, I'm pretty sure Connor would uh, cancel us for this week. So uh, we probably should move on a little bit. There'll be plenty more to talk about uh, regarding the Simon family, uh, not, in, not only in the weeks, but in the months and years to come. Be interesting to see how they, again, put their, uh, their thumbprint uh, on the league. And we welcome them to the league. It's, yeah. uh, it's fresh blood. Yeah, um, yeah, and as now we go from the fresh to the uh, you know not so fresh. Not only in terms of how long it's been since it occurred, but also the news itself. Because it seems like we talk about this at least a couple times a year. We're sticking with the Mooseheads, and this time we're going to talk about Zach Larue. Uh, this time last week, we didn't know how long Zach Larue was going to get suspended for the in, the uh, interaction with that fan in Gatineau. He speared a fan through the glass. Uh, Connor provided us with some great uh, Zapruder film-esque uh, uh, security cam footage. It was great. And if you stop at frame 306, I believe that's where he does make contact with the blade of his stick. Well, that contact costs Zach 10 games. He has already served the first four games of that suspension. Because uh, time served as well, if I'm not mistaken. And Jamie, you can correct me on the back end here. His ninth career suspension, surprised at the length. Uh, I was. I actually thought that I honestly thought Zach LaRue was going to be done for the regular season. I, I really thought this was going to be a lot longer than mm -hmm. it was. Um, mm -hmm. If this was almost any other player, I would have said, yeah, 10 games is appropriate. But I, I was mm -hmm. really surprised that it was just 10 games simply because of his uh, his suspension history. Uh, I agree. Uh, not only because of the uh, repeat, repeat, repeat offender status, um, and that's not to make light of this. You know, nobody wants to see somebody suspended nine yeah. times. But at the end of for the sure. day, you're suspended nine times. You're suspended nine times. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you fully expect the book to be thrown at, at a player like that um, to the to the greatest degree possible. Um, at the end of the day, again, as you said, I was kind of expecting the same thing the rest of the regular season, which I believe at that point would have been 17 games, if I'm not mistaken at the time of the infraction. Um, and I apologize in advance. This is me not doing my homework. Surprise, surprise. I can't remember if that 10 is in addition to what's already been served or it I is believe, tacked on to yeah. two. I think it is. So, yeah. so that means he will be back on March 9th yep. uh, when Halifax is, starts the first of uh, a two-game set up in Bathurst to face the Titans. 
So that's the top of the league with the Mooseheads. Obviously, a lot of big news there. We've talked about all the top teams in the league seemingly ad, ad nauseum, Jamie. Let's talk a little bit about um, the teams towards the bottom because for as big of a race as what's taking place in the Western Conference right now, there might be an even better race taking place for the final playoff spots in the league. Of course, the top 16 make it. It's an 18-team league. And there's only 10 points separating 13th through 18th. And a team that you are very familiar with, of course, is right in the thick of that. Yeah, and we're kind of starting to see a little bit of a separation of the pack here. Bathurst, St. John, Valdor, the bottom three teams, they're still kind of clustered together. Um, but starting to see a little bit of separation between the three teams above them, Cape Breton, Bobbery, and Charlottetown. Um, that's not to say that ground can't be made up. There's still, you know, 13 to 15 games left. But um, teams, these team, these three teams at the bottom, like they've really got to start getting the wins going. Um, otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna lose a lot of ground. And St. John, for example, they entered the weekend uh, just four points back of Charlottetown. Uh, then they dropped two games against Charlottetown, so now they're eight points behind them. Uh, that's going to be really hard to make up. Still possible. Uh, you look at St. John's remaining schedule, they play Cape Breton four times, uh, Charlottetown three times, and Bathurst three times. So um, still a chance that there's quite a bit of movement here, um, and we might get a little bit of a better picture of what we're looking at down the stretch at this time next week because St. John plays Cape Breton twice this weekend. Um, but it's it's starting to kind of look like it's going to come down to those three teams unless uh, something really drastically changes. Yeah, definitely. You know, Bathurst, uh, the bottom has kind of fallen out since the trades that have yeah. sent, you know, Riley Kidney and uh, Jacob Melanson uh, out of town, uh, winless in 13. So, you know, that's definitely an uphill battle there. They've got um, 15 games rema remaining on their schedule. Everybody in this group either has 15, uh, 16, or sorry, 14, 15. 13, 14, or 15. I'm going to get this right eventually. Yep. 13, 14, or 15 games yep. remaining. Uh, so it's not like there's a lot of games in hand that, at play here. But, you know, you look at a couple of teams, you know, Valdor, they're 2 and 8 in their last 10. Um, they, they've lost significant ground, as one would expect based on, you know, their stance during the trade period. You know, Justin Robidoff, you know, finally made his way to Quebec uh, after, you know, after that trade was finally consummated. Uh, for example, Alexander, Alexander Dusek goes to Halifax. Um, but I, I think, you know, it just feels there, Jamie, that uh, at least for the last spot, um, it could just be a case of whoever is hot. And I kind of use that term. That term in quotation marks, uh, whoever, whoever, uh, you know, wins maybe their last game or yeah. last two to three of the season may be the team that secures that last spot. And St. Yeah. John, you know, to their credit. Um, and you know what? I'll fully admit, you know, Trevor Georgie, if you happen to listen to this, sorry, bud. I thought at this time, at this time of year, I thought for sure we would not be talking about the Sea Dogs. Uh, in a race for a final playoff spot, you have proven me wrong yet again. Um, but they, but the Sea Dogs, just when you think that they've they've come to a point where they're um, they've kind of stalled out, they do find a way. Obviously, this weekend wasn't the time, but they do find a way sometimes to pull out some somewhat surprising wins or or uh, or really take advantage of the situation. If they've won four of their last ten. Well, you no, know it may be winning four out of ten. You know, a four hundred win percentage. 
the rest of the way, that could get them in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's you know typical of a of a young team. They've been streaky, uh, especially the second half. You know they'll go on win three games in a row, and it looks like well this is great. They're they're easily going to make the playoffs, and they'll lose three or four straight and get right back out of it. So um, I completely agree with you. I think it's just going to come down to who's uh, who's hot in the final couple weeks of the season. Uh, but it'll be fun. Like it's fun to have this race, um, and you know it's great for all of these teams that there's meaningful games. Uh, down the stretch for the fans and for the players. Um, but <laughs> probably a little painful for those three teams at the bottom. <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong about Bathurst, but I don't. I know St. John and Valdor don't have their own first-round picks. So, uh, that is correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, St. John definitely not. Uh, Valdor does not. I want to say perhaps Moncton has that pick, but I don't Moncton know that Valdor's, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so you know, if you're, if you're a Wildcat John, fan... So. Yeah, and Valdor has St. John's. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> um, it's yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting coming down the stretch. A little over a month away from the end, by the way. Uh, March twenty uh, fifth is when we turn the page on the regular season. So there's still a lot of hockey to be played. Um, probably going to be talking about these same teams more or less on that last week if there's still a race. But uh, and if there is still a race, as you said, Jamie, you know just all the better for the fans to, uh, yep. to get into. Definitely. So uh, let's take a look at the mailbag. And uh, one of our regular listeners, Casey Lee, he uh, uh, comes in with, and this is what I love about the questions from Casey Lee. It's one sentence. No offense to other people who get a little bit wordier because we will take wow. them any way we can so get them. Direct um, shot at uh, the Wildcast is what I'm hearing here. Um a direct shot at Jeremy Boucher of the Wildcats, not at Adam Lund. <laughs> okay. So, uh, good enough. That should, by the way, inc- that should ensure that we get a question from the yes, next week. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Probably a personal one, but a question nonetheless. <laughs> Casey's question, is Jordan Dumay the steal of the 2022 NHL entry draft? Go for it, Jamie. What do you think? Uh, okay, I want to make sure everyone's recording this because this is the hot take. My answer is maybe. Crowd goes wild. <laughs> it's just like it's it's too early. It's too early yeah. to tell. Uh, ask me. Ask us in like five years, and I think we will have a better answer. Um, it's definitely looking like he could be a steal right now. Um, but for me, it's just how how can he play best on best, and how can he play once he gets pro is the big question for me. Um, really curious to see what he can do um, at the World Juniors next year, playing best on best, assuming he makes the team. Yeah, and that's the thing with Jordan. Um, by the way, I agree with your answer. Uh, too early to tell, um, especially considering how many kids uh, out of that class are in the NHL, which is to say almost none, um, especially for last year. Um, like Slavkovsky is the only one right Slavkovsky is the only one. Of course, he's in, uh, he's in that lineup and injured. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very tough to, to really say now, if you're asking me if Jordan Dumay is uh, the steal or one of the steals from the 2020 QMJHL draft, despite the fact that he was a first rounder, you know what? I think you got some merit there. Obviously, he's put in the time, and 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 we've seen it. Now we always expect the first rounders in the queue to uh, perform uh, above uh, average. Obviously, it's uh, a lot different than the landscape of the NHL draft, but uh, you know, to have 109 points at the age of 17 
to be running away with the scoring title uh, this year. Um, you know, I, I could get behind that steal or one of the steals of the QMJHL draft or the NHL draft now. A little bit too early to uh, to tell. And for a guy who has been very reactionary throughout his career, and what I mean by that is uh, a guy who has reacted to not making uh, prominent, you know, national teams or prospect teams, and then just saying, well, you know, you know screw you, I'm going to go out and get three points a game now. Um, it will be, to your point, Jamie, interesting to see what he does when he undoubtedly gets on that team in Sweden, uh, putting on that Team Canada jersey next year. So, Casey, good question, even though we don't have an answer for you. And uh, for him and for anybody else, keep those questions rolling in. Uh, it can be a comment, it could be a question, it could be a criticism. You know what? I keep putting that out there just to see who's going to bring one forward. And either nobody's listening to this uh-huh. or nobody's uh, nobody's uh, had the nerve to, to do it yet. Trust me. Yeah. I've They're just banking them. They're banking them yeah. up and emailing them all yeah. at once. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be like Santa at the North Pole in December <laughs> here at some point. I can just well imagine. That's all right though. We will uh, within reason, let's, uh, put them on the air and we always welcome your interaction. Please continue. And uh, thanks again, Casey, for yet another question. So let's go to the NHL team profile, Jamie. And um, Jamie, are you a trivia fan? Maybe. Depends on if you know the answer, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is the most Jamie Tozer answer I've ever heard. Yes, great. Um, So here's the easy question. Name the only team in the NHL whose AHL affiliate has a larger than their NHL team. Oh, I'm going to guess the Arizona Coyotes. Well done. Um, And, of course, the Arizona Coyotes are our focus. Now, we're not going to dump on the Arizona Coyotes and their their arena situation, even though Gary Bettman put out that you know, Bernie Sanders-esque, uh, I'm once again asking for your support video on tw- on social media earlier today. Like, we're, we're not going to go there. Like, that's been, you know, that that's a that's a, a dead horse that's certainly been overbeaten. Um, but we are going to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, the Coyotes, and we can finally say this for the first time, I think it's three weeks, Jamie. We finally have uh, a team that has is drafting smart enough to draft Q players. There's three of them in the league. Maverick Lamaru, Jeremy Langlois, and Mannix Landry. All Arizona property. Uh, general rundown from your perspective on those three guys. Yeah, and you know, probably not a surprise that Arizona drafts some Q guys considering who they have uh, behind the bench. Um, and Maverick Lamaru, uh Having a decent year on a, on what's been a disappointing Bolts team that we've talked about at great lengths on this program. Uh, 12 points in 20 games as a defenseman. That's pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. Jeremy Langlois, who was uh, the Eagles captain, got traded to Quebec. Uh, and obviously having a good year there as well. Uh, playing for a loaded team, 22 points in 20 games. I think he'll probably be a starring role in the playoffs, uh, assuming the Remparts have a big run. And then... Uh, Manix Landry, who remains the only player I've seen score a lacrosse goal in person. Uh, saw him oh, do really? It. Yeah, I saw him do it uh, in Gatineau against St. John last year. Um, overager this year. I believe he's unsigned by Arizona, so we'll see what his future holds. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe he's former Gatineau captain, uh, now playing yes. for, uh, for Drummondville. 
Yeah, and uh, hey, hey, there's one thing you've seen that I have not. I have yet to see. I, I was in the building when uh, Bedard and Fantilli attempted it yes. uh, for Team Canada on Boxing Day against uh, the Czechs, which, of course, you know, I don't think you heard much about it. It, it went kind of under the radar. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. You know, really well. and, you know, I'm sure that <laughs> the fact that Canada lost that game had, had, had a lot to do with the fact that it went way under the radar. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's the closest I've seen. Um, and one note there, you know, Lamaru, of course, six foot seven uh, defenseman who is pretty proficient in, in in the offensive zone as well, and you know, fairly mobile for his size, we'll say. So that's kind of a rarity. And I was actually talking to Patrick Waugh earlier today for an article for the Quebec League and an article for the Hockey News that uh, uh, I encourage everybody to uh, pick up. It'll be in the in the magazine. Um, in the uh, playoff preview edition, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we'll get to talking about uh, uh, Jeremy Langlois uh, at that point. And his comment, just to paraphrase, was essentially they wanted to add depth. They added Langlois. Patrick Wall was a little unsure of maybe his defensive abilities, just from what he had seen in Cape Breton. And uh, at, at the end of the day, at, at this point, uh, at the very least, um, and, and I would agree with him based on the, the one game that I did see of Langlois in a Ramparts jersey in Halifax, which you and I were in the same section for, actually, here about a month ago. Um, he has turned into a very astute pickup by the Rampart. And uh, on a team that is missing one of their big guns in Evan Noss on the back end, and uh, was, uh, at least in the words of Patrick, well, a little unsure of themselves, maybe defensively as a team. Um as, as a huge move and uh, probably going to be one that will prove to be successful, you would think. So the AHL, three guys in the AHL as well with Q ties. AHL team is the Tucson Roadrunners. Um, their home arena, by the way, is the Tucson Convention Center with a capacity for hockey of 6,791 spectators. And the three guys that are um, uh, in Tucson – uh, Jean-Sebastian Day, who uh, spent a lot of productive years in Rwanda, former 40 goal man up in Rwanda, Laurent Dauphin, a highly touted center at one point who played for Shikutami, and a guy who, I love this guy, and Jamie, I know you love him too, former St. John Sea Dog, former President Cup champion, Boko Imama. Yeah, one of the one of the largest um, junior hockey players I've ever seen. Uh, definitely was was more of a man playing in, uh, amongst boys in junior oh, hockey yes. for his entire career, which is really saying something. Um, had a really quite a junior career, uh, had seven goals as a 19 year old. Then as an overager had 41. Uh, <laughs> I don't see that too often. Um, but you know, probably his most memorable moment as a sea dog was that, that infamous, uh, game that we talked a little bit of after the show uh will uh when he jumped off the bench uh to fight kelly bent after uh, Bent went after joe Milano. very very famous moment um between the sea mm -hmm. and mooseheads and uh i think one that probably uh even though imama got suspended for a lengthy time i think it, it probably won some hearts around the league for uh, for what he did yeah definitely and you know you, you know hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, I, I would say, and I was covering the Sea Dogs uh, for Rogers TV that year. Um, probably a bit of a galvanic moment as well for the Sea Dogs as they were really starting to put the pieces together to, uh, towards what would become 
uh, a league championship team the following season. Um, it was, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations where uh, I can't remember whether or not there was a fine uh, involved there as well, but it's one, it, it, I'm sure uh, Danny Flynn was the head coach back at that time. I'm sure figured as Danny uh, on the slide probably would have said it was money well spent and 15 games without Boca it wasn't easy, but it was certainly worth it in the long run, especially considering all the, uh, all, all that that situation entailed. So, and also gives us an opportunity to talk about the legendary Kelly Bent on this uh, podcast. So, you know, anytime you get an opportunity to do that, you know, you're, you're a better person for that really to educate the masses in that regard. Um, trivia question number two, Jamie. Name the only NHL team whose ECHL affiliate has an arena whose capacity is larger than the combined total of its NHL and AHL teams. I'm going to guess Arizona just because we're, we're on the topic. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm just, no, I, I'm putting my stick away. The horse is already dead. You know, it's great. <laughs> But uh, we're going to talk very briefly about the Atlanta Gladiators who play at the Gas South Arena, capacity 13,100 spectators, the home of the Gladiators. Also, by the way, uh, I'm I'm a lacrosse fan. Speaking of lacrosse, talked about lacrosse goals. Um, So, sorry, I have seen lacrosse goals, but uh, it was the Halifax Thunderbirds who were scoring them. So it kind of doesn't count the same. Big lacrosse fan myself. I know you enjoy the game as well. Home of the Georgia Swarm of the National Lacrosse League as well. And also home this year to first-year pro Noah Lowen, who really carved out a successful career as a defenseman in the queue for five seasons in Cape Breton and Charlottetown. Yeah, and a key key guy for uh, Charlottetown uh, last year in that, uh, that big run they had. Yeah, for sure. Um only one guy in the NHL who is a Q alumni, but kind of an interesting story. It's uh, Liam O'Brien. It's a center, um, played for Ramuski and Ruan Aranda yeah, in the league. I believe he was on the Ramuski squad that went to the 2012 President Cup final, if I, if I uh, recall correctly. And just one of those guys, like, you kind of put him in the same bucket maybe as like a, uh, a Ross Johnston in, mm-hmm. uh, in New York with the Islanders. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, guys of that ilk that uh, never drafted and you know they're 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 there to provide a certain um aspect to the game um uh, physicality obviously uh and just a strong work ethic zach McEwen's another guy like this and but still one of those guys that you, when you go to the rink jamie they're kind of those guys that when they make it to this level they're the guys that you want to cheer for the most yeah absolutely and uh I was going through his elite prospects page and you can just look at his penalty minutes totals to see what type of role he plays. Um, and, and it's funny, it's funny doing this exercise on this podcast, just how many of those types of players from the queue have, uh, have made it to the NHL and uh, not only made it to the NHL, but stuck around for quite a while. So uh, good for them for, uh, for finding a role and, uh, and being successful at it. Uh, just briefly, I have a bit of a theory on this and it's the fact that, once upon a time, the NHL draft um, went nine rounds. And even before then, back you know in the 70s when it was the amateur draft, it would go until people were just done making picks. There could be 25 rounds. Now it's seven rounds. And I think scouts are just a little bit keener on what they want. They're a little more selective with their, with their picks. And these guys, guys like O'Brien and Zach McEwen, you know what? If this was pre-2005, like – 
days of the nine round draft, there's mm-hmm. a possibility they could have been selected, you know, take a flyer on them in the ninth round. And I think maybe on some level, and I could be totally in left field on this, the fact that they go undrafted is just that extra motivating factor that propels them. Uh, not to mention the fact that the game has changed so much that these guys, uh, these guys that bring this crucial element to their teams, they just, they're, they're not top of mind on the draft floor. So you combine those two elements, and I think that's how they're finding their way into the game. They Maybe they would have found their way into the game anyway, but I think there's just a couple of elements there that weren't always there that, that have really brought them more into prominence and and have allowed them to forge a path to the NHL that maybe it wouldn't have been there before. Yeah, and a lot of those guys that, that don't get drafted end up playing as a 20-year-old junior, which I think for a lot of players is probably more beneficial than you know playing a handful of games here and there in the AHL or ECHL. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, Boko Imam is a good example of that. He exploded in his overage season. Um, mm-hmm. might not have gotten, uh, might honestly might not have gotten an NHL contract if not for that season. Um, so, right. and if he, um, so, and another guy that's kind of following a similar path to that, uh, played in St. John last year, Riley Bezo, who's had, yes. uh, I, think, I think he's one of the fight leaders in the AHL this season. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that uh, the minor pros are, are getting much, much younger in their stipulations yep. there. Obviously, that plays a factor as well. Let's talk a little bit about our 2023 draft prospect of the week before we wrap things up. Jamie, we haven't talked about a goaltender this year. So let's talk about the top-ranked goaltender amongst North North American tenders from the queue. Canton Miller, Quentin Miller, uh, from the Quebec Grand Par. Um, You know, it'd be pretty hard, and this is not to disparage Quentin Miller, but it'd be hard to not have a good record on that Ramparts team. But at the same time, and his teammate, uh, William Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Rousseau of, go, falls into the same category. Sometimes it's even more challenging when you're not facing a lot of shots. Both of those goaltenders are in that bucket, and Quentin Miller is still rising to the occasion. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about him is that he's in his rookie season, and he's the backup goaltender for a team that might win the league trophy this season. And you don't often see a team have confidence in a backup goalie or in a rookie goaltender to be one of their uh, first or second goaltenders. So the Remparts obviously have a lot of confidence in them. Um, and I think that says a lot about them. Um, and like you said, well, um, never easy when you're a goaltender that's not facing a lot of shots. Um, he's posted pretty good numbers, pretty similar numbers to what he had last year in under 18, actually. Right. Um, so um, obviously mentally is very sharp. Um, and I believe, uh, 32 Thoughts has an interview coming up with Jake Allen. I think he might even talk a little bit about how, uh, how it's difficult to, to play on a team that doesn't face a lot of shots. And I remember uh, Travis Fullerton, who a uh, Riverview mm-hmm. guy, uh, yeah. went on to play at UNB. I think he played, maybe faced 10 shots a game for about 30 <laughs> games a year. Uh, but that wasn't easy, right? Uh, no. And UNB ended all. up winning a lot of games you know, by one goal. Yep, takes yeah, it takes a different type of mentality to adjust uh, in that manner. Um, we've pretty much reached the end here, uh, Jamie. Um, just final thoughts on this week's edition. Uh, I know one thing that sticks out to me: like if you if you're a fan of this league and you have access to the games, you're going to want to stay tuned because there are a boatload of either entertaining, potentially entertaining games, or games that will have significant uh, potential impact to the standings. 
Yeah, and everyone's sick of us talking about the Mooseheads by now, but uh, they have <laughs> they have an incredibly. They were sick of us talking about the Mooseheads two months ago. Now they just. <laughs> but they have a. I think this is the same road trip that I labeled comically hired for the Wildcats a few weeks ago, and this is I think the same road trip. Uh, Victoriaville, Sherbrooke, and Quebec, I believe, is that road trip the Mooseheads are on. So that is uh, that's uh, good. Have fun with that. Uh, that is going to be a real challenge for the Mooseheads. Um, I'm also keeping an eye on this 11 a.m. Friday game uh, between <laughs> Shornigan and Charlottetown. Uh, that's uh, being played at 11 a.m. due to uh, the Canada Games semifinals at East Link Center. So that'll be cool to see uh, mm-hmm. how much energy those teams have, especially for Charlottetown, who, uh, who really needs to get some points. The guy I feel the worst for in that situation, the two guys are George Matthews and Corey Arsenault, who have to call the game for the Islanders. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't speak for George, but Corey doesn't strike me as much of a morning person, much like myself. So, you know, Godspeed, guys. Have fun. <laughs> and we've had a lot of fun this week as well. We look forward to doing it all with you again next week. Until then, I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. Don't forget to send in those questions, comments, whatever you may have. This has been another edition of THN on the Q brought to you by BetMGM.